0: Mark chapter 15, and uh, we will also be looking at Hebrews chapter 9 if you want to get a head start and put your thumb over there. Let's get started with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we ask that you would come and that you would speak to us from your word tonight. I pray, Lord, that uh, the words that are spoken tonight would not be my own, but yours, and that uh, you would teach us something about yourself tonight from your infallible word Thank You for Your Holy Spirit and for the work that He does in our lives. pray that He would come and be with us now. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Mark chapter 15 and verse 33 says, And when the sixth hour was come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. We're talking about Easter, by the way. <clears throat> this is the crucifixion. Verse 34, And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, saying, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani which is being interpreted, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And some of them that stood by when they heard it said, Behold, he calleth Elias. And one ran and filled a sponge full of vinegar and put it on a reed and gave him to drink, saying, Let alone, let us see whether Elias will come to take him down. And Jesus cried with a loud voice and gave up the ghost. And the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom. There's a lot of information here. And Mark is kind of the Cliff Notes Gospel. Mark has a, a brief writing style. He moves along very quickly. Um, there's only 16 chapters in his whole, his whole account of the Gospel of Christ. And so what we see here is a, a brief account here of the crucifixion of Christ. And some of the other Gospels expound on certain points uh, covered here in these verses. But the one verse that I want to highlight... Is the last verse there that I read? Verse thirty-eight. And the veil of the temple was rent in twain, from the top to the bottom. The veil of the temple, to the best accounting of historians, uh, Josephus and, and other uh, current historians, the veil of the temple was up to four inches thick. It was the what they called uh, the breadth, a uh, palm's breadth, which is about three and a half inches. It was 60 feet long and 30 feet wide. That's six stories tall and three stories wide, four inches thick. That is a wall by anyone's standards. That's not so much a curtain as it is a wall. And that was rent or torn into from the top to the bottom. How was that done and why was that done? Well, that's what we're going to look at as we jump over to Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews chapter 9, the amazing thing about the crucifixion of Christ is that in his crucifixion, Christ had a dual role. He was playing the role of both the final high priest, the last high priest that we would ever need, and the role of the final sacrifice, the final Passover lamb. He was playing those two roles. And we see here in Hebrews chapter 9, and verse 11, it says, "...but Christ, being come," or He came as, "...an high priest of good things to come, by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building." The idea of this building is this creation, this, this realm, this place. So Christ came as a high priest by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, He went to heaven. He went straight to heaven. He didn't have to go to the earthly tabernacle where the human high priest went. He went straight to the throne of God with his sacrifice. Verse 12, "...neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood he entered in once into the holy place." Again, that's the true holy place. Not the representative holy place that the high priest of Israel entered into once a year And for this cause, He is the Mediator of the New Testament, that by means of death, for the redemption of the transgressions that were under the First Testament, they which are called might receive the promise of eternal inheritance. Jesus Christ, in His death, tore the veil of the temple in two. It's no longer necessary. There's nothing standing between us and God anymore. He entered in as the final high priest. He sprinkled his own blood, his infinite, perfect, righteous, godly blood on all mankind and covered all the sins of all humanity, past, present, and future. And because he did that, that veil is gone. And he is the last, the final, the only person that we need to mediate on our behalf before God the Father. No other human being can do it. No other person is sufficient Christ alone, and His blood, His sacrifice. Again, He didn't enter into the tabernacle here on earth. He went straight to the throne room of God, as it says there in verse 11. And that's reiterated in verse 24 of the same chapter. For Christ is not entered into the holy places made with hands, which are the figures of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. He's still there mediating on our behalf. Neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by His own blood, He entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. Verse 13, For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifieth to the purifying of the flesh... If the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of heifers and these sacrifices and these types that God set in place to remind Israel of what Christ would do on the cross whenever He came, if those were sufficient to ceremonially purge the flesh and make it clean through the ceremony of it as a representation of what would happen, how much more shall the blood of Christ who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself without spot to God Purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. How much more does the blood of Christ make it possible for you and I to stand before God the Father guiltless of our sin? Because He is the final sacrifice in a much more way than what the blood of bulls and goats could do for the purging and the the cleaning and purifying of our flesh. Christ's blood does for our spirit and for our soul and makes us clean before the Father. And like was said Sunday night... We're given new life. And if we're given new life and we're made alive, then we need to live like we are alive. Through Christ. Not through our own selves, but through Him. Through our great high priest. Verse 15, And for this cause, He is the mediator. A mediator is a person who settles disputes between variant parties. In our natural state, in the flesh, we are at variance with God. That's a biblical principle. That's a truth. We are enemies of God in our flesh. He can't, he can't be around us. We can't be around Him. He's perfectly righteous, and we are broken and sinful. But Christ is the mediator. He stands between us and the Father. And when we are in, in Christ, after His genetics, as has been said so many times from this pulpit, when we are in Christ, we, through Him, can stand before the Father, guiltless, blameless, blameless, That by means of death, for the redemption of the transgressions that were under the first testament, they which are called might receive the promise of eternal inheritance. We are all condemned under the law. Under the law, we are transgressors. We cannot fulfill that standard of righteousness. But again, Christ fulfilled that standard and then offered himself as a sacrifice. And so that perfect sacrifice, having fulfilled the law, covers us when we accept that gift of salvation and we have the promise of eternal inheritance verse 16 says for where a testament is there must also of necessity be the death of the testator for a testament is of force after men are dead otherwise it is of no strength at all while the testator liveth that testament there is what we would call a last will in testament in other words it's the will of God And that can only take place after the testator has died. It's only after a person dies that their last will and testament comes to fruition. And the last will and testament, so to speak, of God was that all men should have this inheritance, the promise of eternal inheritance, eternal life, through Christ, through salvation. And that is the message of Easter. That is the message of the resurrection. That we, through Christ, as our high priest, can come before God the Father. That we can stand before Him and not be condemned. Not because of works of righteousness which we have done, but because of what Christ did for us. He alone is sufficient. He alone is worthy. He is our High Priest. And that's what He did on the cross. Now if He had only died, as was talked about Sunday, if He had only died, all this would be pointless. Our faith would be in vain. But He rose again and He conquered death. And that He rose again proves that He is God and finishes and seals the work that He did there on the cross. And so through His death and through His resurrection, now we can live a life of holiness. And so if we have been made holy and if we have this high priest who is mediating on our behalf, we ought then to live for Him. We ought to live our lives in such a way to give back to Him what He has given to us. We're not living for our own righteousness or for our own glorification, but to glorify Him and to glorify our Savior, our Mediator Christ. So let's do that as a church. Let's be a body of people, an assembly that glorifies Christ. Let's not box Easter up this year and put it on the shelf and pull it out a year from now and say, oh look, the resurrection happened. Who knew? That's what we tend to do. We box things up and we compartmentalize them and we bring them out at certain times of the year. But the resurrection is the fulcrum. It is the, the highlight, the theme of the Christian faith. And if we box it up, we box up everything that matters. Everything that, that gives our faith value and the very, the very foundation that our faith is built upon, we're boxing it up and we're putting it away from year to year. I think that's one of the best things that Satan enjoys from the church is that we take these things that are so meaningful like the resurrection and we kind of tuck them away for a year and that gives him a little more wiggle room he feels a little more comfortable when we're not highlighting the death of christ the uh satan didn't know and the the powers that be didn't realize what they were doing when they crucified christ paul says that in first corinthians chapter 2 That they didn't know what they were doing. They didn't know the plan of God. So now that he does know, it's it's a big embarrassment to him. It's a thorn in his side. He thought he had won, but rather he was defeated. Let's not let him have the victory and be comfortable. Let's keep reminding him that he has been defeated. Not through our own strength and not of our own pride, but again through Christ. Through Christ, we need to remind our enemy and the world that there is victory and that it is in Christ. And that through Christ alone, each of us individually can have victory in this life and also in our own resurrection. And that we can live a life for Christ, glorifying Him. Amen?